When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As you know, the Hey, Mary Kay edition of the podcast and Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our football insider subscribers about the defense, the offensive line, the Browns schedule coming up, the quarterbacks they have to face, all of that stuff. So that's coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Now, if you're not a football insider subscriber, I don't know why, because we are already heading into week four. The Browns are going to Minnesota this weekend. You want to be a football insider subscriber. You go to cleveland.com slash Browns. You click the blue banner at the top of the page. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And you can become one of our text subscribers. And that's where we get our Hey Mary Kay questions for the pod. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. All the info and get yourself signed up. All right, here we go. The Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our Hey Mary Kay edition. We are going to get to our football insider questions here shortly, but Mary Kay, I wanted to touch on a topic that came up today uh, when on Monday when we had Kevin Stefanski on Zoom. Uh, it was about Miles Garrett. So he said, basically said, um, I, I don't have the transcript in front of me, but essentially called Miles Garrett their best player. And you followed up with him and you asked, did he mean their, their best player on defense? And or their best player overall. So I wanted to ask you, Mary Kay. Hey, Mary Kay, is Miles Garrett the Browns' best player? You know, it, it is a good question. And I thought that, uh, you know, that it deserved a little follow-up because I thought that when Kevin Stefanski said, Miles Garrett is our best player, I really thought that he meant uh, on the whole entire team, but I wasn't positive. Now, of course, he wouldn't answer that. He said, I'm just going to let you guys speculate on that. So I would say, I think he was trying to say, you know, Miles is the best player on the football team. Um, You know, I I guess I would have to agree with that at this point. Yeah, I would have to say that because I think Baker's still coming into his own. Uh, I mean, there are, we know who the candidates are, right? It's Baker Mayfield. It's Nick Chubb. It is Odell Beckham Jr., Maybe Jarvis, Jarvis Landry, right? Kareem. Um, and yeah, I mean, you'd have to throw Kareem in there. And so we should probably do a poll on this, right, Dan? We should do a poll on, uh, on uh, you know, for our subscribers or, or on Twitter just to see, who, you know, who everyone thinks the best player on the Cleveland Browns is. But hmm, it's hard to argue with Miles based on everything that we've seen over the last couple of years. I will say, though, that... Um, he really dropped off last year after he got COVID. So I'm, I'm anxious to see him put together another full season. He's only had one full season and he was lights out that year, 13 and a half sacks. I feel like it's going to be more like that this year where he's going to have a, a long, good season where he gets to the finish line and he has 
a million sacks, probably breaks the record and really challenges for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. So at this moment, I am going to say yes, that Miles Garrett is not only the best player on defense, but the best player on the team. What do you think, Dan? First of all, let me let me read Kevin's quote here. So the question was about Miles' performance. Um, and then he said, Miles was outstanding. Really, the entire defense was outstanding. But if you point at an individual, it would certainly be Miles in that effort yesterday. He is our best player. I think he knows that. We know that. And the other team knows that. And then he goes on to say how he's going to get more attention. So you could really kind of spin it both ways. It was kind of couched within an answer about the defense, but then also he did just come out and say he is our best player. And Kevin doesn't usually slip up. He usually makes sure every word that needs to be in a sentence uh, ends up in that sense. But anyway, yeah, I, again, when you go through those candidates, right? So Baker's not there yet. I think, I think maybe it comes down to just based on pure talent alone, Miles, Odell, and probably Nick Chubb. So mm-hmm. I think I would go with Miles. I, yeah, I, th- I think that's where I would go. I think he is the best player on the team right now, just because Odell is still coming back from injury. Nick Chubb is incredible, but I guess I'm kind of waiting the pass rusher over the running back. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the fact that Baker's a quarterback is part of the reason he's in this discussion. So I'm, I'm going to go with Miles Garrett because I think Miles at his peak is that player we saw yesterday who got four and a half sacks and kind of had everybody saying, well, you know, he can do even better than that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's yeah. part of it too. Miles at his peak is just different than everybody else on this football team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, except for I, I actually do think that the person who could go head to head with him in that regard would be Odell Beckham Jr. We have not seen the best of Odell Beckham Jr. at all in a Cleveland Browns uniform yet. We have seen flashes of it. We certainly did not see it in the crazy Freddie Kitchens year, right? We did not get to see who Odell Beckham Jr. really is in that year. And we really saw like glimpses of it last season. We saw him take over the Dallas game and basically win it by himself. But we, we've only seen it in small doses. We haven't seen a full season of amazing Odell. And, you know, maybe this will be the year that we see that. And maybe when we get to, end, to the end of this season, maybe we'll think differently about this and we'll have a different answer. But right in this moment, uh, because he hasn't been able to live up to his full potential yet in this offense, I'm going to have to go with Miles right now. And so it will be incumbent upon, upon uh, OBJ to change our minds by the end of the year. Yeah. And, and by the way, like Kevin didn't say anything wrong. Like, I, I don't want people to hear this and be like, oh, okay, I can't believe Kevin said something like that. He didn't say anything wrong. It's just, it's an interesting discussion. Who's the Browns best player. And if he said Miles Garrett is their best player. I mean, who's, who's really going to argue with that? Yeah, I don't think you really can argue with it right now for the reasons that, that we have mentioned, but I think there are a few players on this football team that can challenge him for that title, as we've mentioned, Odell can, and who knows, maybe Baker can as he goes along. You know, that, that's the goal. I mean, they were both number one overall picks. So, you know, if, uh, if Baker continues to come along the way that he has, and plays at the level that he started playing at midway through last season and continues that on and is a top 10 quarterback, then, you know, then he might get in that discussion too. But for right now, especially coming off a game like that, which is foremost in our minds, I think we have to go miles. 
Okay, I'm going to throw one more at you here before we get into our football insider questions. It's, it's again, off a bit of news that happened today. So Josh Gordon is going to sign with Kansas City's practice squad. Uh, he's expected to be called up to their active roster relatively soon. Uh, Josh Gordon is 30 years old now. 2013 is a long time ago. But I'm going to ask you this. Hey, Mary Kay, should Browns fans be worried about Josh Gordon signing with the Chiefs? I am going to say yes. I'm going to absolutely say yes, because the last thing that the Browns need or their fans need is for Josh Gordon to catch the game-winning touchdown pass against the Cleveland Browns in the AFC Championship game. And it could happen. I mean, it could absolutely happen. If he stays on the straight and narrow, and boy, I mean, he's really got to remember to try to take it one day at a time in his life because he gets ahead of himself and boom, he's gone again. Uh, I've always pulled for him. I mentioned this on Sports for Clee that I taped uh, this week that when Josh Gordon was first drafted by the Cleveland Browns, I got it. I was able to get his phone number and I got him on the phone uh, before he arrived on the Browns doorstep formally. And I talked to him on the phone for like 45 minutes, smart, thoughtful, really good conversation that I had with him. It was really cool. Um, And so I've always pulled for him since that time. And I've always felt bad for him that he hasn't been able to stay sober and stay clean. It's a very difficult thing. And, uh, and he has struggled with that his whole entire career. And since actually he was a, a really like a teenager. And so I always feel bad about that for him. I hope he can do it. I really, really hope that he can do it. For Browns fans sake, I don't want him to do it against the Cleveland Browns in the AFC championship game, but I always thought he just had so much pure raw talent to watch him play and to watch him practice. He really is a hall of fame caliber receiver. He really is. He's got that kind of talent. Uh, So if he can come back, stranger things have happened. Malik McDowell is starting for the Cleveland Browns, right? So guys can come out of nowhere and turn their lives around and make a comeback. Let's see if that will be Josh. But yes, I think Browns fans do have something to worry about. I I don't think they do. I, I just think it's so unrealistic that Josh Gordon will still be a contributor for the Chiefs in January. It's just, listen, it could happen and it would be a great story. But if this, if this guy wasn't Josh Gordon, if you just pulled up his pro football reference page and you're like, oh, the Chiefs signed this guy who had 1,600 yards back in 2013. I mean, that was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And he, even when he played, even when he was with New England, when he gave it a run with Seattle, he's just not that player anymore. Uh, he's he's beat up physically a little bit. He's he's just not the player he was in 2013. And then you've got, like you said, I mean, it's just day by day with him. Mm-hmm. You know, a few years ago in New England, it looked like maybe they had sort of revived his career a little bit. And then he got suspended right at the end of the season. And, and they were kind of counting on him. I just, you know, I, again, it's nothing against Josh. It would be a great story, but I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And, mm-hmm. and the thing I keep coming back to is, like John Dorsey will take a chance on anybody with talent and he traded him the second week of the season in 2018. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I just don't know. I, I hope that this time is different, but even if it is, he's 30 years old and it, I, he's, I just don't think he's going to be the pl- anything close to the player he was, you know, back when he was with the Browns. Well, you could be right about that, Dan, and you probably are going to be right about that because we've just never seen it. 
And I have believed Josh so many times myself. I have looked him in the eye and he's looked me in the eye and vowed this and promised that. And he's never been able to live up to those promises. But once again, that's what, that's unfortunately what addiction is all about. Generally, people that struggle with substances can't live up to their promises. So if he still has that uh, in his profile, then he's not going to make it. If, however, he somehow has gotten himself truly, once again, for now, one day at a time, clean and sober, then he has a chance. And 30 years old, I've been looking up uh, receivers and when they start to fall off that cliff. You know what? Receivers can, get, can keep going very strong until they're like 32. And then they start to really fall off the cliff. But you can get some really, really nice production out of a 30, 31-year-old, and even 32-year-old receiver. So, and, and the other thing about Josh is you, you did mention that he is beat up to a degree, but he's also saved a lot of wear and tear on his body over the years. Do you have his stats up? How many games has he actually played in the NFL? He has played in 63 games. So 63 games, you know, that's, that's not that many. That's not that many games. So, you know, he, he hasn't been beat up in the last how many ever years. And I don't know, it is hard. It is hard. And Josh has a, has a tendency also, you don't know what kind of shape he is. And he comes in, um, he has a tendency to put on a bunch of weight. Like he can get really big to the point where he almost looks like a, like a linebacker sometimes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is a guy that can get enormous. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. But he is good enough. I've seen him do enough just from a pure pass-catching standpoint that in the right system, with the right people, with the right quarterback, Patrick Mahomes perhaps, maybe they can get something out of him. I don't know. You'd hate to see it happen to the Browns in a big, huge playoff game. Uh, but stranger things have happened. Right. I, I just just – January 30th is a long ways off in, mm -hmm. in, in the world true. of, in the world of Josh Gordon. That, that's, that's for true. sure. I mean, the people who have been around the Browns know that uh, probably more than anyone. All right, let's get to some football insider questions here. A lot of questions about the defense and obviously the Browns defense on Sunday just put up historic numbers. I mean, I still can't get over some of these numbers. One passing yard uh, allowed to Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, 47 total yards. The Browns ran 81 offensive plays on Sunday. So some folks, some of our subscribers wanted to know with this defense and the matchup against the Bears. And we'll start with Bob Summerkamp from Cincinnati. Hey, Mary Kay, was this the defense's coming out party or was the Bears offense just that bad? You know, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle. I really do. I think that the defense needed uh, a game like this where everybody got to join in the sack party. I think Miles Garrett needed a game like this where he had a bust out game, put himself back in the conversation for NFL defensive player of the year, surpassed Chandler Jones, who had five sacks in his first week and is not, not Miles is now the number one sack leader in the NFL at five and a half. So I think all of that stuff needed to happen. And, but the asterisk by it, is the fact that it came against a rookie quarterback who was completely overwhelmed, who held the ball way, way, way too long, playing behind a horrible offensive line, uh, a left tackle that is, is basically done, 
Uh, at the age of 39, Jason Peters, of course, nine Pro Bowls in his past, but for the most part, you know, it's over. Um, and a game plan that was horrible. I mean, they, they did not do anything except for five-man protections most of the time. He only attempted 20 passes. They were, they were in a five-man protection 13 times. No chipping, no doubling. What did Miles Garrett complain like heck about that the Texans did to him? Chipped the whole time. And he was. He was relentlessly chipped. That's what you have to do to him. Or he does what he did. So it was just a perfect storm. Uh, it, was a, it was a hurricane for poor Justin Fields. Uh, but for the Browns, it was the perfect storm of rookie quarterback, bad offensive line, bad game plan, and we're going. They took advantage of it. They did what they needed to do. Uh, so I think the answer is absolutely somewhere in the middle. Right. It's not taking anything away from the defense to point out that that offense and that game plan was awful. And that's what the Browns are supposed to do. Right. When, when they have a rookie quarterback who's just clearly not ready and the scheme doesn't fit what he needs to do, hold him to one passing yard, get nine sacks, just dominate. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's we've seen teams come in and do it to the Browns you know, back in the day when they were starting guys like Cody Kessler and, and whoever else at quarterback. So, uh, you know, they, they did what they were supposed to do. One thing that I, I remember sitting up in, in the press box and watching was Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs when the Browns played them in week one, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, and they, they came up with this plan on one of their drives where they would let Miles Garrett come unblocked or they'd let Clowney or Tack come unblocked. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes would throw right at them. So there's somebody behind him and Mahomes can do that because he throws from all these weird arm angles and like gets it around him over the top. The Bears tried that with Justin Fields yesterday and it just wasn't fair. Like Justin Fields can't do what Patrick Mahomes did and Miles Garrett. He didn't sack him. I think it was an incomplete pass, but he just absolutely ate Justin Fields up on the play. And, and it's just, you know, Matt Nagy comes from that Chiefs, um, that, that Chiefs system. But yes. it's, it's just you can't do that to a rookie quarterback. You, you've got no, to get you, bodies on Miles Garrett and Davian Clowney and, and all of them. And it was just a disaster. And the Browns absolutely feasted off of it. They absolutely did. I mean, it was uh, in our podcast last night. I, I called it, you know, I called it like rookie abuse. <laughs> I mean, there is just absolutely no way that uh, that Matt Nagy should have hung that young man out to dry like that. There were times in the football game where I thought, just put Nick Foles in the game already and let him know what he's looking at on defense. Let him get rid of the ball quicker. I mean, if you get the ball out of your hand against this defense, you're neutralizing that pass rush. That's a huge key to beating this formidable rush of the Cleveland Browns. It's what the Texans did. The Texans used a very quick strike passing game and a number of other things, but the quick strike passing game and chipping the heck out of Miles Garrett. And it, it, was, it was the perfect game plan. What, like, why wouldn't you copy that the next week, especially if you know that Miles was like really frustrated by the chipping and the double teaming and complaining about it? Like, do they not read cleveland.com? Do they not, <laughs> <laughs> do they not listen to the Orange and Browns Talk podcast? Um, but you know what I mean? Like there is, there is a little bit of a formula you cannot do that to a rookie quarterback. And you may have seen, I, I posted Dan Orlovsky just going off on, on how they handled that whole situation and how he thinks that Matt Nagy should be fired for what they did. They didn't do anything. They didn't do 
any does they did two design runs uh you know they, they they didn't max protect in any way so it was basically a disaster but like you said the browns took advantage they smelled blood in the water and they attacked it they went after it and that's what you have to do and you know it's like they needed that joe woods was catching all kinds of grief the defense was miles was feeling the heat uh you know in addition to to calling his teammates uh calling on his teammates to step up and make the play like he did on friday he posted on instagram you know they're saying i fell off you know and you got to keep that energy so he had a fire lit under him um, so I think it was, everybody needed to, to join in on this sack party and feel good about themselves. But if they think that it's going to be like that over the next three, four five weeks, then they're going to have to, to find other ways to get themselves fired up for the game. Yeah. That, to me, it's like, okay, you, you've got a chance now to catch your breath. You know, you don't have to hear about the defense all week. You don't have to hear about the struggles. You get a chance to catch your breath and, and sort of reassess things and, and get after it. So you mentioned, uh, some games coming up and, and there were questions sort of about this defense moving forward. So I'm going to go to this one uh, right here. Uh, no name attached to this one, but Hey, Mary Kay with better quarterbacks showing up on the Browns schedule the next four weeks, can the Browns defense continue to dominate? So these are the quarterbacks that they have uh, coming up here in the next month. They've got, I got to toggle over to this tab here. So they've got Kirk cousins and the Vikings uh, coming up this week. The Vikings are scoring some points. Their, their offense has actually been pretty solid so far this year. Then Justin Herbert in L.A. on the 10th. Of course, the Chargers just beat the Chiefs on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray uh, is coming to town on the 17th, and then they turn around on a Thursday. And it's a, it's a little strange to throw this guy's name into this mix, but Teddy Bridgewater and the Broncos, who are undefeated, they've, they've mm-hmm. taken some hits at wide receiver recently, but they are unbeaten, and he's sort of stabilized things for them. Mm-hmm. that's a pretty interesting mix of quarterbacks that they have to face here in, in the next four games and a pretty interesting mix of offenses. So, uh, I mean, again, the question, will better quarterbacks showing up on the schedule, can, can this defense continue to dominate? Yes. Um, it's, it's a great question. Uh, there are different styles of quarterbacks. There are some mobile quarterbacks. There are guys like, uh, Kirk Cousins running the system that the Browns run where you're going to see a lot of play action. You're going to see a lot of keepers, bootlegs, those kinds of things. Um, So you got to, you know, they're going to run the gamut. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of nine sack performances. Okay. I mean, that was, I attribute a lot of that to uh, the bears just completely dropping the ball on, on how to handle a rookie quarterback. That, that was so bad. You know, it always amazes me that, teams don't build their offensive lines strong when you have young rookie quarterbacks coming in it is the one thing that the browns can not the one thing but one of the things that the browns can really pat themselves on the back for is the fact that they really worked very very hard to build this offensive line and keep baker mayfield safe and upright having said that i want to mention something here really quick though dan this is a little sidebar Baker Mayfield was sacked five times. So, and I was just looking up Khalil Mack's snaps because as we know, he left the game in the second quarter and didn't come back until the third and didn't play the whole second half. He was in and out. Yeah. He only played 51% of the snaps. 
He played 40 snap, 41 snaps for 51%. Okay. Now you had other guys in his position like Robert Quinn that played, you know, 63% of the snaps for more like 78%. I mean, you almost have to wonder what would have happened even on that last drive had their best pass rusher been in the football game. Right. I mean, Khalil Mack was not in the game for a significant chunk of the football game and Baker was still sacked five times. I mean, you almost have to think that that number could have gotten up to six, which meant he could have been sacked. Of course they had the ball many more times, you know, they had many more snaps. Okay. I mean, Justin Fields was sacked on almost 50% of his attempts, which is crazy, but Baker could have been sacked six times in that game for only three fewer than Justin Fields, which blows my mind. So I think, you know, that was something that they're going to have to watch. He's also holding the ball a little too long in certain situations. Yeah, that was probably the offensive line's worst game since going back to the Pittsburgh game um, last year, the the first Pittsburgh game. That was Mm -hmm. probably their worst game. And and that Bears front is really challenging, um, as, as a few people have pointed out. And they, they didn't perform well. They didn't perform like, uh, like we're used to seeing them perform. So they've got a rally here a little bit going to, to Minnesota. And, you know, we know Arizona's got some pass rushers. We know the Chargers have, have some guys that can get after the quarterback. So uh, there, there's more tests coming for that offensive line. We did have some questions about the offensive line too. So, oh, okay, good. Uh, yeah, pe- people certainly want to know what, what we thought of their performance. And, yes. you know, Real quick, though, going back to that defense, I guess what do you expect? Because someone else asked about the regression of the defense. Obviously, they're not going to play like they did every single week on Sunday. So, I mean, what is a realistic expectation now moving forward if they did, in fact, kind of get things figured out against Chicago? Well, I'll tell you what. What they needed to do, and we have been saying this since training camp, we knew they didn't practice together very much. We knew they didn't play together hardly at all in preseason. And and we knew guys were standing around in bucket hats. They all had hamstring injuries and different injuries. They did not have a chance to gel. We knew it was going to take, I figured it would take about a quarter of the season for them to sort of figure out who's going to play when and where and how. And now I think Joe Woods is getting a better idea of who can do what. Now you've also got Grant Delpit back, right? Grant Delpit is back and he's, uh, he started the game at safety. And uh, I think he'll continue to get more and more reps as he goes along. Uh, JOK is coming on very, very strong and he's looking really good. Uh, Again, I think he'll continue to get more and more snaps as the weeks go by. So I think they're going to get really good. I think the defense, you know, they were good yesterday against a horrible team. I think they're going to get good against good football teams. And when they need to be really good, they're going to be great because there's one thing they haven't really started to do that yet. And that's take the ball away. And they're going to do that. They are going to take that ball away and, uh, and they're going to be dominant in big games when this football team needs them to step up against the, the best, you know, the better teams in the NFL. When, when the time comes, they're going to be ready. And and I do think that the Patrick Mahomes of the world or, and the Josh Allens and whoever else they might end up playing in the playoffs, Lamar, uh, they're, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to contend with a really good, formidable, opportunistic Browns defense. 
so another one about the defense here. This is from Tyson in New Braunfels. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, could this game be the start of a blueprint for playing the upcoming mobile quarterbacks the Browns have on the schedule? And really, most of the quarterbacks they have to face the rest of the way. Uh, there, there are very few guys who you don't look at and, and say that they aren't very mobile. And I'll also throw uh, Jeremiah Wusukormo a question in here because I think he has something to do with this. Gary from Olmstead Falls um, says, hey, Mary Kay, seems like JOK had a pretty good game. Was it all his effort or was he given more responsibility or freedom? So let's start with that. Was it just the fact that JOK got more snaps so he got to show off a little bit? And then secondly, did we see a little bit of a blueprint in part because JOK played so much when it comes to dealing with mobile quarterbacks? Well, you know, that was the plan all along. That's one of the, uh, one of the reasons why they, why they wanted JOK was to be able to handle some of these more mobile quarterbacks. I mean, when you know you've got the, the Lamars of the world and the Kylers and the Patricks and uh, you know, you're going to have to be able to find a way to handle them. And I do think that, um, that you will see, more playing time for him, but really he only played 23 snaps. JOK only played 23 snaps. That's not to be fair. There were only 45 defensive snaps. That's true. That is true, but that's still only 51. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was as high as it was his highest percentage, but it wasn't a higher, like just straight up snap count than he's played in the past. It was just a higher percentage. Right. And the reason why he played 18 last week, and we've mentioned this before is that he got a little dinged up in the game. And that was the, the reason for that. Cause that was, I looked at that 18. I was like, Hmm, that was kind of weird. Uh, but that's what that was all about. He, um, he came out for a little while and didn't go right back in, but, um, but I think you'll see him taking on a, a larger role as time goes on. And there's been a method to Joe Woods madness. He, he recognizes that JOK missed a lot of training camp. He missed nine practices, the first five, and then later he missed another four practices. And you do have catching up to do. And so I think he's trying to build his confidence and you know not let him get ahead of himself. But I think once he starts to get to midseason, I think I think JOK is going to bust out and you're going to see forced fumbles. You're going to see sort of a dominant linebacker profile the likes of which that you see from the Steelers kind of linebackers and, you know, the, the, the linebackers that you think of in Pittsburgh, I think he's going to be like that where you have to think about where JOK is on every single play. Yeah. So, so then those, those mobile quarterbacks that I mentioned that, you know, like Justin Herbert can move, uh, Kyler Murray can move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't run a lot, but he can hurt you with his legs. He's, he's a little bit like Baker in that way. You know, Joe Burrow kind of sneakily can can run the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got him on the schedule. Lamar Jackson, of course, twice. Aaron Rodgers isn't a runner as much, but he moves around in the pocket a ton. Um, and, and, you know, Derek Carr, again, maybe not necessarily a runner, but he's a guy that can move a, a little bit and, and, you know, buy a little time with his legs. So there, there are some mobile guys. And then, of course, you might end up with Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes in, in the playoffs. So is is this sort of the template against the bears or again is it just kind of like maybe but that was also a rookie starting his first game yeah i don't think that that we can look at this game and draw too many conclusions about what's going to work against an experienced mobile quarterback what happened against justin fields isn't going to happen against kyler murray 
isn't going to happen against Lamar Jackson. So no, I don't think it is the template. I think that was once again, just um, the Browns taking full advantage of a very difficult situation that the bears put their rookie in behind a really bad offensive line. I think miles is going to get chipped. Uh, I think they're, you know, I think they're going to do a lot of things like they, like we saw the Texans do getting the ball out quickly. I think, uh, so no, I, I, I cannot honestly say that I think this is a template, but I do think that, that they're going to have some really interesting schemes and plans for those mobile quarterbacks that, that we haven't even seen yet. They're going to have blitzes and wrinkles and stunts and games. Uh, they're going to use Grant Delpit. They're going to, they'll blitz, you know, they'll safety blitz him more. Uh, so I think you'll see a lot. Um, but I don't, I don't think that, you know, that teams are going to be watching the film of this game and thinking, you know, this is it. Okay, let's get to a few more here. Uh, th there's some more random ones here. And, and this is one about uh, fourth down plays. This comes from uh, Bob in Stowe. What's going on, Bob? Uh, hey, Mary Kay, what, if anything, might the Browns learn from their unsuccessful fourth down plays on Sunday? And I actually really wanted to include this one because Kevin kind of took ownership of one of those fourth down plays. He said the timing was messed up on the snap counts and, and things like that on the first fourth down attempt on Sunday, but he kind of took ownership of that second fourth down. He said it was a terrible play call, terrible play design. Kevin, you know more football than me, but I do not disagree with that assessment. <laughs> uh, anything to learn from those or just kind of is what it is. No, there's always something to learn from those. And if he's saying that he messed that up, then, um, you know, then we're going to have to take his word for it. Part, part, you know what? Part of that is they also ran into some really good pass rushers. Okay. And sometimes you have to give the other team credit for, for what they do. And I've said this many, many times. The Browns were not tested by good pass rushers very much last year. Name me a really good pass rusher. You mentioned earlier in this podcast that, you know, this reminded, this was the worst offensive line game since the Steelers. Well, that, why is that? Because the Steelers have TJ Watt and they have good pass rushers. So, you know, that's what this offensive line is, is going to need to be able to hold up against the really good pass rushers and the really good defensive lines. They got away with some things last year because they didn't have to face the, the Bosa family. They didn't have to face the Chandler Jones. J.J. Watt was neutralized by a weather game. Chase Young left the Washington game super early on in that game. So when they did face good defensive fronts like the Steelers, at least early on in that game before they all rested in the season finale, they didn't handle it that well. They did not win their matchups all that well. So I think it's something to watch. It's something to keep an eye on. Now, it doesn't help matters when your starting left tackle is trying to play on a sprained ankle and can barely move. That does not help at all. So I think that was a factor. Um, but, you know, whatever went on on those, on those plays, I, I do think had something to do with the fact that um, – that they had really, really good ferocious, ferocious pass rushers and also a, a, a gimpy left tackle. 
I, I also think that, you know, and, and maybe this is part of what Kevin saw when he went back and watched that maybe he just got a little too cute on, on some of those, on a couple of those plays because, and at the end of the day, you've got Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And, mm-hmm. and I know, I know you don't want to just turn and run the ball straight up the middle every time because that's not going to work every time. But we, we watched Kareem Hunt run yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. it's all arms and legs, but somehow he manages to get five more yards than you expect him to get on every single run. And, and we know that Nick Chubb is, is a really powerful runner too. So, you know, I think there's ways to get the ball in their hands creatively and, and let them get those yards in, in those kind of fourth down moments. And, so you know, sometimes it's fun to, to get Demetrius Felton involved and it's fun to get some of these other guys involved, but you got to have a bread and butter too. And, and I think that starts with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, yeah, there was a question. I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, and, and I do agree with that to a degree, but I also think that, the, you know, that it, there is something to be said for springing a look on a team right. that they're not ready for. And, you know, sometimes if, you know, you throw a Demetri Felton in there and you're expecting a Nick Chubb, you know, that can be effective too. I, I just think, I, I just think that we can't underestimate the fact that this probably, this might've been the best defense, defensive front that they're going to face. And I do think that they were lucky. They were lucky that Khalil Mack had to be out of the game for 20 some percent of the snaps. Okay. You mentioned Jed Wills. Here's a question about him. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, this comes from Dan in Chattanooga. Hey, Mary Kay. Will Jed Wills get time to get his ankle healed so he can play with more power moving forward? He hates for the team to be short-sighted with this. Do you expect Jed Wills to, to kind of continue to try and play through this? It sounded, especially today, like it was more of a re-aggravation of the injury uh, than, than him going into the game with the same level of injury that he did against the Texans. Because Kevin said that he thought like Nick Chubb might have fallen on the ankle at one point. Yes, that is exactly what it sounded like. Um... It seems to me that they'll keep trying to let their starting left tackle play when he can play. So as of right now, I don't know that they're going to shut him down. Uh, it depends on how serious that re-aggravation was. Now, if he has a legit high ankle sprain, and we don't know, um, if he does have that, then you know maybe it would behoove him to sit down for a week or two and try to get it healed up so he's good to go for the rest of the season and stops aggravating it. Um, but I think that the goal will be to try to get him out there and get him on that field for at least to start the game. And if they have to have him relieved with Blake Hans, then they will. But remember, this is a, a line full of warriors that play through injuries. They play through high ankle sprains like, like JC Trutter has. And I think the expectation is that Jed is going to play football. And, and we talked about it in the post-game show. You wrote about it. There's just a reason that every time you ask one of these guys about Jed Wills, they just praise him like almost over the top praise. And Wyatt Teller today used the word maturity when, when I asked him about Jed Wills playing through the angle. Like, there were, I just, I really get the sense they're trying to see something with Wills here and, mm-hmm. and kind of continue to send that message like, this is what you do when you're an offensive lineman. You just, you've got to play mm-hmm. through stuff and, and you've got to, you've got to answer that bell every single game, every single snap, no matter what. Yeah. And he earned uh, by playing the week before when he was really, the, the ankle was big and swollen. Okay. And he went out there like that on a big and swollen ankle. And he really did show the team something because 
you know, it's not like you're a receiver and you have to go sprinting downfield. You know, they have to move on this offensive line, obviously, um, but they don't have to go sprinting around. So, you know, the, the feeling is, you know, that you do kind of have to suck it up on a bad ankle and do the absolute best you can to play. Now, it's not an ideal situation, but I do think that they were looking to, to see if he can bring that sort of warrior mentality to it um, because that's the tone that has been set on, on that offensive line, starting from Joe Thomas to Joel Batonio, all of them, J.C. Treader, all the way down the line. That's what those guys do. All right, a question here about the, uh, the state of, of the league. Uh, this comes from the 202 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, have the Browns been jumped by Las Vegas, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the AFC pecking order? He mentions Baltimore, Kansas City, Buffalo, the Chargers, the Raiders, Denver, and the Browns. He actually has the Browns below all those teams. I disagree with that. I still think the Browns are right up there with Kansas City. I actually don't know who the best team in the AFC is right now, to be honest with you, and I think the Browns probably have to be in that discussion. I I don't think they've been jumped just because – the Raiders are off to a really good start or, you know, the chargers who I really like the chargers beat the the chiefs on, uh, on Sunday or the Ravens who beat the chiefs. I think the Browns are still right. Kind of where we thought they belonged. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. And I've been thinking about this, watching some of these games and watching how it's starting to shake out a little bit. You don't know anything after three weeks, (laughs) you don't know anything after three. How many times have we seen a team start four and oh, and then they fizzle out. Even the Raiders last year, right? I mean, uh, two, I year, two years in a row, they've actually started well. And then exactly. Exactly. So they have to show that they can sustain their success. They have not demonstrated that yet. That's the hurdle that they have to overcome. Justin Herbert, you know, second year quarterback, you know, what is he ready to do? Can he take it up another notch in his second season? We thought Josh Allen what you know looked like Josh Allen was you know getting off to a little bit of a slow start and then he busted out uh with a big game yesterday four touchdown passes and one rushing touchdown um the truth of the matter is that you just do not know where this is going yet and we're not really going to know who is for real until week eight or nine and then that's when you're going to know who can beat some of the better teams and and what what this AFC picture is going to be shaping up to be. But the way that I look at it right now is I think the Browns are in the conversation right now. They are what we thought they were. And I think they're going to continue to be what they thought they were because Odell Beckham Jr. just came back. I mean, that was his first game. Like, hello, he's going to be amazing. Jarvis Landry is still out. Um, They're just figuring out their defense. The Browns' defense is still in their preseason right now. They're playing their preseason games. So I think the Browns are absolutely 100% still right there in the conversation with one of the best teams in the AFC. And when I see the Kansas City Chiefs faltering the way that I see them faltering, it really makes me think that, you know, I mean, this is going to be a really interesting home stretch and playoff race. It, it's it's going to get really, really interesting. And I think the Browns are going to be right in the thick of it. Yeah, I think one of the things to, uh, to keep in mind is, you know, especially with a team like Baltimore, right? 
how different are we talking about them if Clyde Edwards Alaire doesn't fumble and if Justin Tucker doesn't make a 66 yard field goal? I mean, he, they needed a 66 yard field goal to beat the Lions. If, mm-hmm. if Chase McLaughlin has to kick a 66 yard field goal to beat the Lions in a few months, we're going to be in panic mode about the Browns. So I, I think you're, I think to kind of piggyback off your point is in these first three weeks, it's all so random and, and there's so many random things that happen. It's hard to get really solid reads on, on all of these football teams and like Las Vegas looks really good, but it's three games, you know, we'll yeah. see. They've, like you said, they've, they've fooled us before Buffalo lost to Pittsburgh and looked absolutely terrible in that game. And now they've rallied and, and they're two and one. So to me, the Browns, they lost a really close game to the Chiefs that they probably should have won. And then they took care of business against the Texans and, and the Bears, and they're right where we thought they would be after three games. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing to that I, I harp on this a lot, and I'm very big on strength of schedule. Who are you playing? It really matters. It makes a huge difference. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I know that you've been really big, and, and it's proving to be true because Ben doesn't look good. Um, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have the toughest schedule in the NFL this year. And that's a hard thing to overcome. I mean, if they had the third place schedule, they'd probably get a couple more victories out of that. So your strength of schedule obviously can mean the difference between making the playoffs or staying at home. And I think as we go along here, uh, you know, you'll see how big of a factor that is. It was a big factor in the final like three or four games last year when the playoff race was tightening up in the last three or four games. And I just remember like going over, like, who are you playing? Who are you playing? Who do you have in those last three or four games? And it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Well, and, and again, you know, Baltimore had that super easy schedule to get into the playoffs last year. I mean, not to turn this into Pittsburgh when they started undefeated last year, they didn't play anybody. I think no. they beat ball. I think they beat Baltimore when Baltimore was still playing really well, but I mean, it's not really beat a lot of teams in that stretch. So yeah, I mean, strength of schedule. There's not a professional league where schedule matters more than, right. than in the NFL schedule and injury luck. So who knows? We don't know anything about the NFL right now. We don't. Three weeks. I mean, <laughs> you don't know anything after three weeks, three and O means nothing right now. Oh, and three almost means nothing. I mean, I suppose O and three, might mean a little bit more than three and out in my opinion, but because it is hard to come back and try to make the playoffs to be just starting on three, but then there's a seven, there's a 17th game this year too. So the math changes as well, but, um, but we don't know anything yet. We are not going to know. You don't know what's real until I'm saying, I'm thinking first week in November is when you're really like, okay, this is what this team is all about. Yeah. And the good, the good news for Browns fans is they're sitting at two and one. And if you get a nice little start to your season and you start to peak around Thanksgiving or at least kind of build towards that peak, then you're going to be in really good shape uh, to, to be playing your best football in January. Maybe, listen, it's still on the table. Maybe you can get some home playoff games mm-hmm. in the bye. That, you know, the more these teams at the top struggle, the better news it is for the Browns, especially since they're off to a really good start. Absolutely. 100%. And I mean, it is really weird right now to think that the Chiefs are one and two. That's, <laughs> that's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? And now yeah. Andy Reid, and now Andy Reid just got out of the hospital today. You know, I don't know. It's uh, if they don't have home field advantage, that that would make an enormous difference in, in I the mean, playoff picture. 
you know what's really hard is to go to the Super Bowl three years in a row. Yep. To go to the AFC Championship game four years in a row, the Super Bowl three years in a row, and have to do it at the end of the longest season in NFL history. Yep. Now, if anybody can do it, it's Patrick Mahomes. But right. It, these seasons get real long, and it, it wears guys down. Yep. Okay, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast in the books. We'll be back all week with our daily podcasts uh, going throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber. The blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash brown. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.